What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, leading up to the mayoral runoff April 4th, candidates Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson have leaned on their histories in Chicago schools. Johnson is a former public school teacher and organizer with the Chicago Teachers Union. Vallis is a former head of CPS. This election could determine the future of public education in our city. Longtime education reporters Sarah Karp from WBEZ and Becky VV from Chalkbeat break down the candidates' records on the most pressing issues. It's Monday, March 13th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago is Talking About. I think the interesting thing is that at the end of the day, I think we're going to have a different school system or a different uh, sort of education plan than we did last July. I think so. I think that's interesting. Welcome to CityCast, my friends. Thanks for having us. Hey, how you doing? I'm feeling good today. Uh, Paul Vallis is the former CEO of CPS. Brandon Johnson is a former public school teacher and organizer with CTU. And both of them have sort of laid out what their vision for the future of Chicago schools is. Sarah, I want to start with Paul Vallis, though, as he is the individual who garnered the most amount of votes heading into this runoff. He led CPS from 95 to 2001. Uh, he was the first CEO during the Daly administration. Can you tell us how he came into this position? Well, you know, he had been budget director under Daly for about six years. And then Daly um, was handed complete control of the Chicago Public Schools in 1995 um, by the state legislature. And at that point, instead of ap appointing a educator to lead Chicago Public Schools, he appointed his budget director, Paul Vallis. And the idea was that the school system was in you know running a deficit and had been running a deficit for quite a while and that he um that maybe a budget director could come in and sort of clean stuff up and it's sort of interesting because one of the things that I I was reading some old um clips and one of the things that was interesting is that they actually had like a council on academic achievement to sort of I think it was to kind of help balance the fact that Vallis did not have education experience, but it's also why he was called the CEO and not a superintendent because he did not have education experience. When he started, what would you say were some of the most pressing issues facing CPS in addition to this deficit? Well, there, there were many issues. I mean, the, the deficit was big, but also that achievement wasn't high. I mean, there was a lot of angst over, uh, you know, test scores being low. There was also a, a Chicago Public Schools was coming from a period of 
labor unrest. I mean, in the 80s was, was a lot of a lot of strikes, like every other year there were strikes. Um, and so there was there were a lot of issues that, um, you know, that were confronting them. I think that Daly just wanted sort of a clean slate and somebody who, who wasn't going to get like all caught up in all the, the sort of drama of CPS. When I watch Paul Vallis out on the campaign trail, even in the debate last week, he really wants to paint his tenure as the leader of CPS as, as an overwhelming success. Were there improvements during his tenure? There were. There were. I mean, for one thing, the the budget was balanced. Now, how he balanced the budget is, you know, a subject of a lot of debate and criticism from Johnson. Um also, test scores rose. Of course, there's some differences in test scores. Um, you know, the the Chicago Public Schools, I think, stopped taking the state tests that had been taken for a long time, and then they once they changed, there were some increases in test scores. So, yeah, I mean, yes, it was actually kind of interesting because I'm reading, um, you know, old Catalyst, which is sort of the precursor to to Chalkbeat, this the an education. Um, publication that I worked for for a number of years, and um, but but Vallis was before my time at Catalyst. But I'm reading old Catalyst, and I I see a lot of very glowing articles about him. So there definitely, at least at the time, was the idea that he had, was doing a good job. Meg, I want to bring you in here for a second. You know. Vallis has since, you know, his time at CPS, he had taken jobs in Philadelphia, taken jobs in New Orleans, and you'll read mixed reviews about his time there. But also, what are you hearing from from colleagues around the country about how Vallis is viewed as he's been the leader of multiple school districts? It comes down to who you ask. Um, if you talk to people in Philly or New Orleans who, you know, want to point to, you know, rises in test scores or, you know, certain financial cleaning up kind of what was seen as a mess at the time. If you think about, you know, Philly, the state had taken over the school system. It was in bad shape. And um, in New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina had just come through and they were kind of in this sort of disaster mode. Mm. It, it may sound kind of crude to say this, but, you know, when you when you only have up to go, you know, you're, if you're only going up from from really a really bad situation, um, I think he does a, a good job or is seen as doing a good job of really cleaning up kind of disaster situations and taking mm -hmm. something from the bottom upward. Sarah, are there any things that you could point to that went south during Vallis's time as, as head of CPS? Well, for one thing, when he 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 wound up leaving, and the reason why he wound up leaving, I don't know if it was a thousand percent because he wanted to leave. Now, why he wound up leaving? I mean, there are some people who think maybe um, he was getting a lot of great attention, and maybe Daly was like, uh, "Ha ha, I'm supposed to get the attention." Mm -hmm. But I actually think, like in retrospect, when you ask Vallis about some of the moves that he made, he he actually is a less bullish on them as. As you would think, I mean, including right now, he he's sort of waffling on charter schools, but he does admit that that some charter schools are not um, performing as well as he'd like them to perform. So I think that that there are some things in retrospect that he would that he would change. When we're looking forward to his plan for CPS moving forward, what are three things he's promised to do with schools if he's elected? Well, one of them is that he says that he's going to keep schools open long after the school day and, you know, make sure there's a lot of programming for kids. Um, 
so that's that's one thing. One the another thing is that he says I'm going to turn back control to the community. Um, he's going to give more control to local school councils. Um, you know, over the the last couple of years, there has been a little bit of I wouldn't say less control to, to local school councils, but at least budget wise, there's um, you know maybe more things are controlled by central by the central office than, than, uh, you know, in the past. And so I think that what he's trying to say is that he's going to give back, um, a lot more budgetary, uh, control to local school councils and let the, he talks about, let them decide what their schools need. And, and then he also says, I'm going to raise test scores. Um, and I'm going to, you know, improve the school system, you know, improve sort of performance. He talks about the fact that, um, through the pandemic, you know, Chicago Public Schools was remote for longer than a lot of other school districts, and that that affected performance. And that that he that we need to, you know, get back to where where we were. How can a mayor promise and then execute on raising test scores? Well, that's a good question. I mean, there's not always a direct line. I mean, one thing is we, we have pretty low test scores when you look at the state test. So as Becky said, like it might not be so hard to bring kids up, right? And w- one of the things is also if you put a lot of focus on test scores, like if there's a lot of threats about what might happen if the test scores are not good, they somehow wind up improving. And that's not necessarily to say that means that the, the kids are being better educated. But when people focus on test scores, they wind up, you know, going up if if a little bit like people will say um, there's there's many different ways this happens. But one thing that, that might happen and, and has happened in the past is that let's say there's a bar like to between meets um, standards and doesn't meet standards. And you re- if you can really focus on those kids who are just below doesn't meet standards, then get them just over that line. Then, then you're going to see like percentage improvements of kids meeting standards. But, you know, that's also to the detriment of the kids who are way below standards because then they're, they're often are not, you know, sort of seen as like written off. So there's a lot of, you know, focusing on test scores is a very controversial thing. And it's actually something that Chicago Public Schools has been moving away from. Becky, please. It's, I was going to say, it's it's kind of interesting because when you think back to his time in 95, 96, 97, he implemented at Chicago Public Schools a system of rating schools, putting them on so-called academic probation. And academic probation, ironically, meant your LSC, your local school council, lost some of its power. And instead, central office was coming in to help these schools improve because they were on probation. Mm-hmm. And those probation labels are what ultimately then set the stage for, even after Vallis leaves, this kind of annual exercise of we're going to close the worst performers, we're going to close the schools on probation, and we're going to give them better opportunities, quote unquote, at another school. And of course, folks will remember then that led to the 2013, you know, in 2013, we shuttered 50 schools all at once. And and some of that was still based on not exactly the same rating system, but a rating system that is is set out to measure test scores and attendance and some of these things that we, you know, mm-hmm. decided were what called a school, a good school or a bad school. And I think that that, um, again, kind of back to it's interesting to hear him talk about giving power back to local school councils when, you know, the very system he he put in place years ago um, led to some of them losing their 
autonomy and control over their local community schools. Yeah, and actually, I was in reading some old articles. I was um, seeing that there was uh, a lot of heat from local school councils when they were losing their power, and a lot of protests from them. Um, and you know, Paul Vallis, he's got a particular personality. He's uh, especially like back in the day. He he was a little. Um, I would say squirrely a little bit, you know, <laughs> sort of like he, you could poke him and he'd poke back. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, I don't know exactly how he is now, but, but, but during some of these local school council forums that they would have back in the day, you know, the, the LSC members who are losing some power would, would be hollering at him. And I think that he um, maybe hollered back. <laughs> Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patients' smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Becky, I want to move over to Commissioner Brandon Johnson, who also touts his education background. Can you remind us exactly his relationship with our Chicago Public Schools? Yeah, well, I would say that for the last decade or so, Brandon Johnson has played a key role in organizing, organizing the staff um, of all of our public schools, particularly the teachers. He's a teachers union organizer, organizing them around issues that matter to their jobs, to their workplace. A lot of that is union bread and butter kind of issues. But as we know about the history of the CTU, which um, we've talked about here and, and, and it's been well documented in the papers and other local media that, you know, the, the CTU under leader, under Karen Lewis's leadership really starts to become more of a kind of political organizing force. And Brandon Johnson is a son of that, if you will. He um, was a middle school teacher. Um, he was at Jenner Academy, which is near uh, old Cabrini Green, and then went to Westinghouse and left the classroom to become this organizer. Mm -hmm. He helped organize the 2012 strike, which Sarah and I covered together many years ago. Um, and, you know, he really starts to um, take, He he's a very important kind of piece of that rise, if you will, of CTU over the last decade in organizing on the ground, really grassroots. Um, and so he did a lot of listening in that role and a lot of advocacy, um, whether that's advocacy at the bargaining table or even down in Springfield. Um, he also helped advocate for the elected school board we're going to be getting in a few years. Um, he advocated around increasing the uh, school funding formula, changing that whole system so that students were 
so that funding is getting to students that need it the most. So that's kind of a Sparknotes version, I would say, of his, um, his history and where he kind of came up from. At least with Vallis, he was the CEO of CPS. So you sort of just sort of judge him based on how the district as a whole performed during his tenure and after. But when it comes to CTU, there are many people in the city who look at strikes and just say this is not a good thing versus people on the other side who say, well, well, that was a part of their success to sort of put the pressure on CPS to, to add more at the bargaining table. Is there a way to locate in Johnson himself whether his role was more successful or less? Well, I would say in Johnson himself, it would be really hard to, I would say, credit him alone to something. But I will say the the core caucus that he you know belonged to and, and became an organizer are under and came up through, I would say it's fair to say that they have um, gotten some significant wins at the bargaining table in terms of not just you know wages for their for their staff, but additional counselors, social workers, um, some promises in the contract around staffing the schools with those extra supports. And Brandon was sort of a deputy during all of that time. So again, I can't ascribe it specifically to Brandon, but certainly a lot of that grassroots work um, was a team effort that he was part of. And I will also note that they elected um, some aldermen. Um, they've certainly elected some aldermen. CTU member Susudlowski Garza came to office in 2015. And um, I remember covering her campaign and election. And, and that was kind of seen as this moment when they were really moving toward um, po- political power beyond just the the schools. When I listened to Vallis and Johnson in last week's debate, they were asked on day one, what would be their number one priorities? Vallis's answer was about police. Johnson's answer was about putting young people to work, which has a relationship with, uh, you know, what is going on inside Chicago public schools. What has he promised specifically that his intentions are or his agenda is for CPS uh, beyond uh, sort of youth employment? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like when we covered his education platform over at Chalkbeat, it was very similar to a document that the CTU has put out, which have been these schools our students deserve um, white papers, if you will, that they've put out ahead of bargaining um, kind of to lay the ground for work for really what they see as the ideal um, school system and how we should staff our schools. And I think um, it will be really interesting to see if Brandon Johnson wins and becomes the city's mayor, sort of if there then ends up becoming, if there ends up being some conflict even with his own members, because I think also one thing I've noticed in the last round of negotiations is although Lightfoot and the CTU did not get along and we had a strike and we had a lot of differences over the COVID reopening plan, when it came to the contract and all of the money spent from COVID relief, federal dollars, there have been a there has been an unprecedented kind of windfall of new positions and new supports going into the schools in the last couple of years. And so I think when that money runs out and there is a bit of a cliff, yeah. what does a mayor Brandon Johnson do in that moment? I think you're right. I think you're right, because I think like the biggest thing that I would you know, question I have is a, a lot of his plans. I mean, with Chicago public schools, but I, even outside of Chicago public schools, um, cost money. And 
I'm not a thousand percent sure where where he gets the money. I know he has, you know, a, a plan for where to get more money out of the city budget, but I don't know how that translates to Chicago Public Schools budget. And so I think that that's a question. I will also add that we will get a school board, a new school board coming very soon. And that school board will be the one voting on the 9.5 or, you know, soon probably to be $10 billion Chicago public schools budget. And the mayor himself will not have the kind of influence that they once had without mayoral control. And it may not be in this term, but, you know, the school board president will be elected come 2026. The conversation around what they're going to do with the Chicago public schools in this la- in this next term is sort of amorphous because it's the last one that gives the mayor the power, you know? Do you look at either of these plans? Are either of these individuals more worrisome to you than the other in terms of their vision for CPS? Well, I'll say, I, I, I don't want to say who's more worrisome, but I will say, if Vallis gets elected, the CTU is not going to be happy. <laughs> I think this is a very clear thing. Mm-hmm. I think that sets the stage. Mm-hmm. They will not be happy campers because they very, very much, very fundamentally disagree with a lot of what I think Vallis stands for. Frankly, it, it really will come down to again, kind of what do you value? I mean, what or what do you what kind of a school system do you want to see? Do you want a school system, you know, that has high test scores and um, you know, it's sort of very much focused on accountability at all costs. Mm-hmm. I do think that with a a Vallis at the helm again, it would be it will be interesting to see who he puts on his school board appointments and also to sit what Sarah was mentioning earlier, what kinds of policies that kind of have fallen out of favor may start to reemerge or maybe he just leaves them alone, mm-hmm. would not get labor strife under a mayor, Brandon Johnson. You would presume that there would be uh, quite a bit of labor peace. And I then guess the question would be sort of like, at what cost does that come? Putting aside power struggles, political battles, we need good schools for the students. We are constantly hearing about enrollment falling, about neighborhood schools, uh, you know, on the limbo, wondering if once the moratorium's over, if they will remain open. You know, in one sentence, what should we as voters pay attention to when it comes to the future of our schools in this election? We've seen so much enrollment decline around where public housing was torn down um, in gentrifying communities. And either you grapple with that and um, address the students that are still there or that are there um, or you don't. And I think um, I do think that enrollment is one of the pressing issues. Mm -hmm. Like, will we be able to counter as a city under either a mayor Vallis or a mayor Johnson? Will we be able to counter the kind of headwinds of that declining student population and still be able to kind of have a a, a robust, well-resourced system? Mm -hmm. You know, I have kids in this system now and I like, I feel like my children are getting a good education, contrary to what Willie Wilson said the other day. My three-year-old can write his full name and read it. But can he tie his shoes? <laughs> he can tie his own <laughs> shoes, too. I was going to say, but can he tie his shoes? Um, so I think, um, I also think that it's 
some of this is also the narrative. I think that the that people want to paint a narrative of CPS as something that it isn't. And I think like it's important to keep that in mind as well. I also just think that, you know, this is me as like sort of uh, you know, the long arc of history. It's like, what are we what does our education system look like and how does it serve the kids that are you know mo- most vulnerable mm-hmm. do the plans that people lay out do they look at the how do we serve sort of the white middle class which was one under under some mayors that was a real big priority you know and i think that what we learn from that is well, the black middle class kind of left Chicago and said, adios, amigo, because nobody's, nobody's looking at how, at my experience in this city. And I think that, you know, there is something to be said about what mayor can say, like, how do we keep the black middle class that we have here? Um, and schools are a big part of it because people are, you know, education, education is a big deal. And how do we attract more? to 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 come back and um i think that that's a that's a really big hole and it's a really big deal i appreciate both of y'all for joining us to break down this very complicated this huge topic becky vivi is the bureau chief for chalk b chicago sarah carp is an education reporter with wbez thank y'all for making time for city cast thank you so thank much you. jacoby Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. The mayoral candidates will be together for a public safety forum tomorrow at 5 o'clock on UIC's near West Side campus. You can RSVP at a link in the show notes. E-cigarette maker Jewel Labs got to pay $28 million to the shy to settle a lawsuit claiming it marketed its flavor vapes to underage teens. There's some good news to get you through. The University of Illinois is continuing its free virtual community garden series tomorrow with an online conversation about vegetable gardening. I'm talking soil preparation, seed starting, and various growing techniques. As always, we appreciate you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, for the latest in news and events around the city at chicago.citycast.fm. I'm going to be here tomorrow. Hopefully you will join me. Talk to you then. Peace. Ready, ready to go. <laughs> All right.